pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10:17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. All right, last few weeks, I've been preaching pretty hard on you. I've been showing you a lot of things in the word types and shadows and talking about the end times and talking about the blood, hallelujah, the blood of Jesus, and that we have a token, a token of the blood of Jesus. We have a symbol of the blood of Jesus, an emblem of the blood of Jesus. And I showed you examples in the Old Testament and the Night of the Passover, how the children of Israel were instructed by God to paint a blood line around their door, the entrance to their home. And that blood line kept the destroyer out, kept the death angel out, and everybody that was in that house was safe. And then we looked at it again with Rahab the harlot and how she had a token of the blood. And it was a scarlet thread that she hung out her window and She made a deal with the spies that if uh, she helped them, that they would spare her and her father's house. And I believe she jammed that house full of family that night. And she jammed it full of children and their belongings and possessions. I bet you they could hardly move in that house. And she hung that scarlet thread out the window. And when Israel marched in to to take uh, possession of Jericho, that house stood. The wall fell, but that house stood and everybody in it was kept safe. And so that was a token of the blood, that scarlet thread. And so we have a token of the blood. And I don't know if I'm done preaching on that yet or not. I might even go a little bit further. Not today. I got something else for you today, but I may even go further on that because I believe that's one of the keys for us surviving these last days is being able to draw a bloodline, a blood circle, a token of the blood of the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. We, we should be able to draw that bloodline around our possessions. Amen. Our families. And I believe it will protect us from the death angel, from the enemy. It will, it will save us from judgment. Hallelujah. Because judgment is coming upon this land. Make no mistake about it. But just like in the Old Testament with the children of Israel, there was judgment in the land of Egypt. Possibly the known world at that time, but there was no judgment in Goshen where the Israelites lived. When it was dark in Egypt, there was light in Goshen. When there was uh, flies and frogs and locusts and everything else overrunning Egypt, there was none in Goshen. And I believe that's how God wants us to live in the last days. It may be going all going on all around us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death we'd be walking in the shadow of it but it's not going to come nigh us amen but it's going to take faith in the blood the precious blood of jesus the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world we could go home right now and you got enough to chew on the rest of the week but but we won't this morning i want to talk to you about the beauty of heaven the beauty of heaven And if you'll turn with me to 1 Kings 8.27, I'm going to show you a few things. I'm going to establish a few things. But I'm going to give you a breather from all that heavy stuff. 
in 1 Kings 8.27, it says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? I could answer that. Yes, he will. He'll dwell right here on the earth in our presence with us. He says, Behold the heaven and heaven of heavens, plural. There's three heavens. And he says, They cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have builded. This is Solomon, the son of David, talking to God. And then verse 30 tells us that God's dwelling place is in heaven. That's where God lives. The apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 2, he knew of a man in Christ, and he was talking about himself, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. One, two, three, three heavens. And then in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. God says he will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, I know there's a lot of Christians in this, in this world, and especially in this country, they would like to see God forgive our sins and heal our land, but they haven't done the praying and repenting and the seeking of his face yet. And when that happens, God will heal this land. But my point is this. There's three different heavens described in the Bible. And God lives in the highest one, the third heaven. First, there is the atmosphere that's just above the earth. That's the air we breathe. That's where the clouds are. That's where the... Uh, winds blow and things like that. And it, it, it goes up about 100 miles, I think, give or take a few miles. Don't hold me to it. But then second, there's the stellar heaven. Once you break that 100-mile barrier and you get into the stellar heavens, and that's where the sun and the moon and the stars and the galaxies and the Milky Ways and all of that are. And then beyond that, it's uh, what we call the third heaven, what the Bible calls the third heaven. And this is where God lives, and it's where his throne is located. And I want to spend a few minutes on that throne because it's an amazing scene. And, and, but it's the place where every Christian that ever died are enjoying the blessings of heaven while waiting for the resurrection of their bodies and, of course, the reunion of of those of us that are still left down here. Does anybody know anybody in heaven? I know a few people in heaven. I'm looking forward to seeing them again, ain't you? But the message I have this morning could be used as a funeral message. As a matter of fact, I've used different parts of it in actual funerals that I preach. But the intentions of this sermon is to convince somebody Hopefully not anybody in this room, but somebody out there in Facebook land or YouTube land or Spotify land that may listen to this message even at a different day, and maybe it will convince them to go to heaven. Amen? Uh, I want somebody to make heaven their eternal throne, uh, eternal home someday. And most preachers try to get people saved by telling them how horrible hell is. And I've done it myself. I can't lie. I've, I've preached uh, sermons on hell, 
and I, I made hell seem so vivid that some people came up afterwards and said they smelled sulfur while I was preaching. No, not really. I'm not. I'm just kidding. But I painted some pretty vivid pictures of hell itself to try to uh, scare hell out of people. I don't know if it worked or not, but you should go to heaven because you want to go to heaven, not because you want to avoid hell because it's a horrible place. Don't just go, don't just confess Jesus for fire insurance so you don't have to go to hell. Confess him because you love him, because you came to know him, and you have a relationship with him. Go to heaven because you want to see Jesus. Go to heaven because heaven is a beautiful place, a magnificent place. Don't go there just to miss hell. But anyway, I thought I'd tell us about the beauty of heaven this morning, because I want everybody to go there someday. Uh, but before I do, I want to talk a few minutes about what happens immediately after someone dies. And this is one of the portions of the sermon that I've actually preached at a funeral. Now, I don't know about most preachers, but I preach happy funerals. I always end my funerals with some hope. So everybody leaves there with some hope in their hearts. And, and they, I don't want to say they actually look forward to death, but I want people to not be afraid of death. And so I preached that type of a sermon at a funeral. I've even had altar calls at funerals before. Uh, because if you're a Christian and you really believe what the Bible says about death, then it's a celebration. It's a rejoicing. Yes, it hurts us. We mourn. We grieve. But if you really believe the Bible, you'll be happy for that saint that went to heaven. Because they're in the presence of the Lord. They're enjoying the blessings of heaven and waiting on us. And we'll join them someday. Amen? But anyway, uh, the first thing I want to say is that there's only two, count them, one, two eternal destinations. Two eternal destinations. One is hell and one is heaven. No other destination, not beneath above that or in between that. Just two destinations, heaven or hell. And uh, no matter what others have told you, maybe some bad teaching you got, or maybe you just think differently, but no matter what you might think, two. Two destinations. That's all. Let me make sure you understand that. Say two. Two. Two destinations. Not three, not four. Two. Got to understand that. And heaven is a magnificent place. Hell is a horrible place. God is a good God. The devil is a bad devil. Simple as that. But neither one can be described the way that they should be. And it's not for lack of trying. It's for lack of imagination. Because the Bible tells us that we can't even imagine the magnificence of heaven. We can't even imagine how horrible hell is. I mean, even the Bible describes both places uh, to a certain degree. Uh, we, we look through a glass darkly, but then we'll see face to face. So we don't see it the way we should right now. Nobody does. We can't. And there's things happening in heaven that we can't even describe if we did see them. And so we try our best with our imaginations to describe heaven and describe hell uh, but we're only 
somewhere in the general vicinity. We don't really know. We can't. But if you're not born again, if you haven't accepted God's only plan of redemption, which is his son, Jesus Christ, then you will one day die, and when you die, you will immediately, immediately find yourself in hell. Alive one minute, in hell the next. I never was able to do that. Not loud anyway. But one minute in, in, on the earth, the next minute in hell. That's if you die not knowing Christ. And once you're there, there is no retribution of any kind. There are no second chances of any kind. You can't say, oh, I was wrong about Jesus. I want to change my mind. Nope, nope. Once you're there, you're there forever. You'll remain in hell until, uh, at least till the resurrection of the unrighteous dead, which is at the end of the millennial reign of Christ. So in other words, we have a rapture. Christians that died in Christ, or, or even the Old Testament saints that died with the promise, they will go to heaven in the rapture. But the unrighteous dead, the ones that refuse to accept Jesus Christ as their plan for salvation, they'll remain in the grave for a thousand, thousand more years. And at the end of the millennial reign, they will be raised from the dead, and they'll stand before the white throne judgment of God, and they will be sentenced and transferred from hell to the lake of fire, which burneth with fire and brimstone forever and ever. So any decision that you make as to where you're going to spend eternity has to be made here while you're still alive. No retribution, no second chances, no forgiveness once you find yourself in hell. I promise this would be a happy message, but I had to get that out of the way first. Some people believe in a temporary place of punishment called purgatory. I personally believed in that for years myself. It was kind of like a safety net. I didn't exactly want to live a sinless life. I didn't want to exactly dedicate my life to Christ. And so I lived promiscuously, had sin in my life, and as a net, I figured, hey, at the worst, I'll die, go to purgatory for a little while, uh, a temporary place of punishment, have my sins burned off, and then I'll go to heaven. It's like a stop-in route to heaven. But how many destinations is there? Two, heaven and hell. Nothing above, nothing beneath, and nothing in between. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> and uh, purgatory is the devil's lie. Purgatory is the devil's lie because he wants you to live loosely. You go, go ahead. Yeah, it's all right for you to do that. I mean, at the very worst, you might find yourself in purgatory for a short time to have that sin singed off of you, and then you can go to heaven. But you know what? I won't even dignify that with an explanation. All I'll say is that you cannot find that in the Bible nowhere. No reference to a purgatory or a place like purgatory anywhere in the Bible. And if it ain't in the Bible, it's the devil's fairy tale. Amen? How many destinations? Two. Only two. But since most of the people that are listening this morning, at least in here, 
are Christians, and hopefully most of y'all out there are Christians, that's who I want to talk to. I want to talk to you about what happens when you die. You that are born-again believers that have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to talk about what happens when you die. When you die as a Christian, just like that sinner will find himself in hell, you'll find yourself in heaven in the presence of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8 says, To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So as soon as you die physically and you vacate this body, you will find yourself in the presence of the Lord. The 23rd Psalm gives us a hint of how we get there. And we don't have time to get into it now, but read the 23rd Psalm. It's talking about your journey to heaven in some places. And I think I can say this without reservation, that we all have loved ones in heaven. Amen. If I ask for a show of hands, I think most of us would raise our hands. If you don't have a loved one in heaven, then you're the exception rather than the rule. And not to be a downer, but someday soon you will experience a loved one going to heaven. But my point is this. When you talk about them, and we usually do, some more than others, there's something that we do that kind of keeps us in a grieving and mourning process. Now, don't get me wrong. We grieve, we mourn, we sorrow, but not like the world who has no hope. We have a hope. So we sorrow, but not like the world, the Bible says. And so uh, when we talk about other people that went to heaven, when we talk about loved ones, we usually talk about them in the past tense. And that's one of the reasons you will continue to grieve. And I'm not talking about grieving in a healthy manner. I'm talking about a grieving that never stops. It always keeps you depressed. It always keeps you sad. It keeps your pillow wet at night. That's not a good grief. And if you're a born-again believer and believe what the Bible says about our departed loved ones, you shouldn't grieve like that. You should have a process of grief, and then it should depart. And then you should replace it with memories, good memories of that loved one that went to heaven. But never talk about them in the past tense. See, uh, when you do that, you, you're... you're uh, like suffering loss without remedy. You know, they're gone, they're gone forever. They're dead like a dog. I'll never see them again. Uh, I, I, I'll miss them the rest of my life. I love them the rest of my life and all of that stuff. And it keeps you in that stage of grief that's not healthy for you. And one of the main reasons is because we don't have a good understanding of how God created us and the true meaning of death. First of all, we're created in the image and likeness of God. And God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's what John tells us in his gospel. And so God is a spirit, and if we were made in his likeness and image, then we're spirit beings as well. You're a spirit. You have a body that you live in. You have a soul that consists of the mind, the will, and the emotions. And I know I've taught this before, but when uh, th this is the windows to your soul. And when you're looking through your eyes, it's your spirit man, the real you that God created looking through your body. 
You need this body to live here. It's like a space suit. Except, I mean, you can't go to outer space without a space suit. And you can't live on this earth without an earth suit. And this is your earth suit. Now, unfortunately, y'all can't be as good looking as this earth suit. But we all have an earth suit to live in. Amen? So when you see me, you're just seeing my earth suit. The real me is inside. Amen. And then, when the Bible speaks of death, it never speaks of a cessation to exist. It never means that you cease, cease to exist. We're eternal beings. God is an eternal being. We're made in his image and likeness. We are eternal beings. You're going to live forever. But it's here where you determine where you're going to spend eternity. And how many places are there to spend eternity? Two, heaven or hell. You make that decision here. Amen. But there's three deaths mentioned in the Bible. Spiritual death, uh, physical death, and the second death. The second death is what I was talking about when you're uh, the wicked, unrighteous ones that died without Christ are raised after the millennial. That's the second death. And uh, they speak more of a transfer or a relocating or moving. They never speak of a cessation to exist. And because we're spirit beings living in the body, we have a soul that consists of the mind, the will, and the emotions. When the physical body dies, should the Lord tarry and you're not raptured, some of us won't taste of death. We'll be raptured and we'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. But those of us that have to taste of death, it's simply the body, the physical body dies, the real you departs that body, and you go straight to heaven to be with the Lord. And you take your soul with you. So when you get to heaven, you have your mind, your will, and your emotions. You'll remember everything down here. And you'll remember making the decision to go to heaven. Hallelujah. So here's the thing. If you stop speaking of a departed loved one in the past, we're going to get to heaven in a minute. Not physically. I'm not getting up a... Uh, bus load now, but <laughs> so if you're if you stop speaking of a departed loved one in the past tense, it will ease your grief and ease your sorrow, and it will help you immensely face everyday challenges. We we say things like I lost my husband, I lost my wife, I lost my brother, I lost my sister, I lost my cousin, my aunt, my uncle, you know. Yeah, it's been two years today. Two years. They've been grieving two years. My husband was a great man. My husband used to like to fish and hunt. My husband was a good father and a good grandfather. My husband was, my husband was, my husband was, and you speak about him as though he's gone forever and you're never going to see him again. And that keeps you in a state of grief. It keeps you in a state of sorrow. But we're not like that. We're Christians, right? And if your husband was a great man, if your husband loved to fish and hunt, if your husband was a good father and grandfather, he's still all of those things because he's not dead. 
He's in heaven right now and he's more alive than he's ever been. We don't know what life is down here. You think you know what life is, but you're not going to know what life is until you're dead. I know this sounds crazy. But if he's in heaven, he's still all of those things because he's still alive. And I understand what you mean when you say I lost my dad, I lost my mom, I lost my husband, wife, whatever. I understand that. But it's still wrong because you cannot speak in the past tense, otherwise you're considering them dead and gone. They're not dead and gone. He's not feeling any more pain or sorrow, and he's enjoying the benefits of heaven. In actuality, he's a whole lot better off now than he was when he was down here. And I'm sorry to say this, but if he had the chance to come back, he wouldn't. Not that he doesn't love you, not that he wouldn't want to be with you, but he wouldn't want to come back because he knows you'll be where he is someday, but he ain't coming back to where you are. Hallelujah. So anyway, he's not feeling any more pain, no more sorrow. He's enjoying the benefits of heaven. And so this is the reason we never talk about people in the past tense, people that left this earth, uh, because they're not dead. They just relocated, they transferred, they moved. It was their moving day. And if you had a loved one that moved to Florida, I used the example before, but I said California, but I, nobody wants to move to California anymore, so. So now we're moving to Florida. But if you had a loved one that moved to Florida, you wouldn't see them every day like you did when they were living with you or living around you. But they're not gone. They're not lost. So you wouldn't talk about them in the past tense, would you? Someone asks, hey, how's your son doing? Uh huh. Well, he's gone. Oh, no. Yeah, I lost him last year. He's in a better place now. I'm sorry to hear that. I didn't know he died. Oh, he didn't die. He just went to a better place. He's living in Florida now. See, we wouldn't talk like that. Why? Because he's not dead. This is the mentality that we have to adopt with somebody that went to heaven. He's not dead. She's not dead. They moved. They relocated. It's not the same as having them in the house with you or having them in the neighborhood with you or down the street or something that you could reach in a few minutes by car, but they're not gone. They're not lost. You haven't lost them. They just moved a little further to heaven. So if we have loved ones that left this earth, it's just like they moved to a better place, and they did. If they died a Christian, they're in a better place. They're relocated. And we might not see them the way that we used to or the way we'd like to, but let's keep them in our future, not in our past. So there's more to you than just this frail body. The one with all its aches and pains and crackles and creaks, and you guys ain't hearing them yet, but... But when you get older and you're sitting next to each other, you say, did that noise come from me or you? Is that smell coming from you or me? No, I'm just 
Things will change. This body is not perfect. You know, this body is, is decaying every day, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. The inner man is getting better. Praise the Lord. So there's more to life than this short time that we spend here. You know, James says, you know, what is life? It is but a vapor. Psst. It appeareth for a short time, then vanishes away. That's how life is. And the older you get, the faster it seems to move. But we're, this is not our home. This is just a place where we sojourn for a while to be exposed to the plan of salvation and redemption and for us to expose as many people as we can to the plan of redemption and point people to Jesus Christ. That's our job here, to bring in a harvest, to take with us to heaven. And I know that for years, you know, we've labored for years. This, we've, been, we've had this church for 20-something years, and, you know, we're still a small church. And I understand, like I, I was explaining to somebody, if I can take one person to heaven out of this whole 20 years, just one person, God would be pleased. But I don't want to just take one. I want to have a whole mass of people behind me when we march into heaven. I want this ministry to bring people, uh, to snatch people out of the flames of hell and bring them to heaven. That's why things have, you know, things have got to change. Can't be this. You know, Einstein said, I think it was him, that, you know, to do things the same way and expect different results, that's insanity. So we're changing some things. We've got to. We've got to produce more fruit. There's a harvest coming to this earth. As bad as everything looks, there's a harvest coming. And there is a great revival coming because God is going to get the, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it. Well, he's running out of time, not patience. And, and sooner or later, he's got to wrap this thing up. But before he does, he's going to have one big, he's going to cast one big net for an end-time revival like we've never seen. It will make uh, Azusa Street pale in comparison. It will make all the great revivals of the world pale in comparison because God wants one last shot. He wants to get as many people. That's why he's been so patient. He wants to get as many people into heaven as he can, and that's part of our job. Hallelujah. But anyway, your spirit created in the likeness and image of God, and you're created as an eternal being. You cannot die. But when your physical body dies, that's not the end of you. You just slip out of that body and you go to heaven in the presence of the Lord where you will really begin to enjoy life and where you will await the resurrection of your immortal, incorruptible body, which will happen someday. And then when the time comes, that body that you left here on the earth, I don't care if it was buried, I don't care if it was cremated, I don't care if it was lost at sea, all God needs is one molecule, one atom from your body, and I'm sure he knows where every one of those atoms and molecules are. And, and on resurrection day, he's going to bring them all back together. They could be scattered to the four ends of the earth. They could have been turned to ashes and dust. Uh, they could have been uh, eaten by fish in the sea. It don't make any difference. 
He's going to bring them all together, and he's going to raise that body to newness of life. Hallelujah. And then he's going to put you back in it. The real you, the spirit man that's in heaven waiting. And then, like I said, if, if we leave here today and the rapture of the church occurs, we don't have to taste death. We'll be changed, though. We'll be just like they are. And, and, and it will be a body that's raised up perfect, incorruptible, no flaws, no aches, no pains, no creaks, no cracks, no ungodly smells coming from it. And we will live eternally. So if you believe that, then you'll realize that your departed loved ones have simply relocated. They moved, and they're very much alive, and you will see them again. Keep them in your future, like I said, not in your past. Quit talking about them in the past tense. Start talking about them in the future. And, and, and maybe somebody will think you're crazy when they find out that they died and went to heaven because they don't think like you do. But then you just tell him, he just moved to a place that's a little further than Florida. But he's still alive, and I'm going to see him again. Hallelujah. Well, in the time we have left, Shannon gave me a lot of time today, so I'm going to take advantage of it. But let's talk about heaven for a few minutes. Try to describe a little bit of what it's like. And however beautiful I can describe it, or magnificent, or wonderful, multiply that by a zillion trillion times, and that's what heaven will actually be like. Some questions that people have is, where is heaven? How do you get there? What is it like? I think heaven is like a planet, just like planet Earth. As a matter of fact, I personally believe, based on the scriptures, that Planet Earth is a duplicate of planet heaven. I believe it was created as a replica of heaven itself, created in perfection until the devil got in there and messed everything up. That's a story for another day. Now, I'm not going to pretend we know all the answers. All we know is what the Bible gives us glimpses of heaven. But we know, for example, that heaven is always referred to as up. Never referred to as over there or over here or down there. It's always referred to as up. And unlike the artist's rendition of the steps that lead to heaven, there's no steps that lead to heaven. No elevators. No space pop comet. No spaceship goes to heaven. We know there's windows in heaven. But before I get to windows, let me say this. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. In other words, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you there's mansions in heaven if there's not. Heaven is full of mansions. Now, you can use your own imagination. This is what I believe about a mansion. It's a mannered estate. It's not a condo. It's not a log cabin in the corner of glory, unless that's what you want. But a mansion is, for you, is going to be exactly how you would build it if you had unlimited resources, unlimited money, unlimited land. How would you build it? What would it look like? What would it be built of? What would be the materials in it? What would be the furniture that's in it? Would it be a swimming pool? Will there be a 
a, a, a fence around it? Will there be a, a wall with a gate? I don't think you'll need one, but you could have it if you want. However you'd build it here, that's the mansion that Jesus is preparing for you. There's mansions in heaven. There's windows in heaven. Sometimes the windows are open to pour out blessings from God, and sometimes they're closed to stop the blessings from coming from God. In Malachi 3.10, a very familiar scripture, God said, Bring you all the tithes into the warehouse that there, be, there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings, you don't have room enough to receive. There's windows in heaven. In Genesis 8-2, the Bible tells us, the fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained. Windows that open and close. Mansions, windows that open and close. We also know there's a door in heaven. And Apostle John tells us in the book of Revelation, he said uh, in Revelation 4, I think verse 1 or 2, he says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as if it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show you things to come. So there's a door in heaven. And the first thing John saw when that door was open, and he stepped through it in the spirit, I don't know, or maybe he physically went, I think it, it was in the spirit, but as soon as he walked through that door, he was in the throne room of God. And he seen God's throne sitting there, and God sitting upon the throne. How's that for a revelation? How's that for your first day in heaven? When the door opens, the first thing you see is God on his throne. And, of course, Jesus alongside of them. And John tried to describe it the best he could. And he said it was a dazzling appearance of a sparkling diamond. That's what he's seen, a dazzling, sparkling appearance. But the diamond was blood red in color. And there was an emerald-like aura around the throne, an emerald rainbow around the throne. And it's hard for us to grasp infinity with a finite mind. It's hard for us to imagine this. That's why I said they could probably have paintings of this, and I'm sure they do. If you Google it, you'll find a, a painting of God's throne with him sitting on it with all the sparkles and the glitter and the lights and everything else. And it would probably be beautiful, but it would be nothing like it really is. We can't imagine the beauty and the radiance. That's what it represents. As John was saying, God is so radiant. He sparkles like a diamond. He's red like blood. And he has a rainbow, uh, a green rainbow aura like an emerald. He's just trying to describe what he's seeing. He don't have words for it. And then the prophet Isaiah said, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath they seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that wait for him. And it was quoted in the New Testament that I hath not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it been comprehended in the mind of man, 
uh, the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Can't even imagine it is what he's telling us here. See, we're not capable of even imagining how beautiful heaven is. And some of us have some pretty vivid imaginations too. And yet we can't even imagine how awesome heaven is. Don't go there because you're afraid of hell. Go there because you love Jesus and love heaven. Imagine a rare painting like the Mona Lisa. It's been visited by millions of people. And they wait in line to see it, and when they see it, their mouths fall open. It's a feeling of awe. It's a feeling of, I don't know, uh, excitement it's, uh, uh, that's set off by the thought of its rarity and how much it's worth. It just blows. It's like, I'm not starstruck, but there's people like are starstruck when they see a celebrity. It's like, I don't get like that with that. Now, I'd get like that if I seen Jesus. He's awesome. But this is nothing compared to God and his throne. And there's going to be a lot lot of awe-stricken, mouth-fall-open, knee-knocking people standing before that throne. We've seen that video that one Wednesday night. I don't don't remember the name of it. What was it, Shannon? You remember? Holy entering the Holy of Holies or something, but how that guy, that he's a, he was a movie star, but he was in the video, and how he just walked around with his mouth hanging open the whole time. He's seen the temple of God and the Holy of Holies and all of that and the throne of God. But like I said, behind that throne was a dazzling rainbow that was just beaming with light, light. And... Uh, How many knows God is light? He's not a light, he's light. And when he recreated the earth that Satan destroyed in Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2, in verse 2, he's recreating the earth that Satan destroyed. And the first thing he said is, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. Nothing can live without light. If there's no light, there's no life. So light represents life. God is light. And the reason I'm saying, uh, he said, let there be light, and there was light, is because it wasn't until day four that he hung the moon and the sun and the stars. So what was that light? God coming on the scene. God is light. And that's what John is seeing here. The psalmist cries out, and he says, The Lord in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is heaven, in heaven. And behind the throne, like I said, was this dazzling rainbow beaming light. And surrounding the throne were 24 elders, 12 representing the Old Testament, the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles representing the New Testament. And they're sitting there on thrones of their own, and they're clothed in glistening white clothing, And they all had gold crowns on their heads. This is what John is seeing in heaven. This is what we're going to see in heaven. It's going to be one of the first things we see. Because when the door is open, it's into the throne room. And then he says that lightning and thunder proceeded out from the throne and voices could be heard. 
The river of life is flowing out from under the throne, and the pure water of life was freely accessible to all who wanted to drink. Mark Hankins says the problem with people now is when they're exposed to the river, uh, you know, and Jesus says, come and drink, they think he said, come and think. You'll get it in a little while. Come and think. No, he said, come and drink. It's an invitation, but we have to want to drink it. He's not going to pour it down our throats. He says, all you that are thirsty, come and drink. And the Bible says, as a matter of fact, he cried. He cried for all of those that are thirsty to come and drink. But the religious people came to think, and they left there with nothing, no life. But the river of life, which represents the Spirit of God, is flowing out from under the throne. And, and everywhere it goes, it brings life. It touches, everything it touches, it brings life. And it's flowing right now throughout the entire earth, the entire world. This spirit of life is flowing from underneath the throne of God. And then he said, there are seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, and they represented the seven attributes of the Holy Spirit. You can look those up in Isaiah when you get time. But then there are four angelic beings. See, I told you we spent some time in the throne room because this just blows your mind. And they're called the guardians of the throne. And they're covered with eyes. Their whole body is covered with eyes looking in every direction. And each has six wings. Now, Jeremiah describes them. God came to earth in his chariot, and he had these beings with him. And he said the way they moved was unlike any other being. Uh, they would move, if they wanted to go right without turning their head or body, they just went soup, 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 zoop, zoop, any direction they wanted to go. That's how they moved. I guess because of all the eyes they had, they don't have to turn. And all the wings, they can move pretty quickly. We got hummingbirds come and eat right from our window. We got a thing hanging on the window, and we watch them all the time. And they're, they're just darting around, just zoop, 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 zoop. And that's kind of what John was saying about these beings. But they had four different faces. One was the face of a lion that represented Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah. One had the face of a young bull representing Jesus as a sacrificial offering. One had the face of a man uh, representing Jesus in his earthly ministry as a man in humanity. And finally, one with the face of an eagle, which represents Jesus' heavenly origin and his ability to see all things from his lofty position. Now, I know uh, not everybody listens to the prophets that we listen to, but that Robin Bullock, I know some of you listen to him, and he was saying that a lion has been loose in the earth, and we know what that lion is. And he's in conjunction with an eagle. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but every military needs both. They need a lion on the ground, and they need an eagle in the sky. And that eagle is in the sky, and he's all-seeing. That's their surveillance. That's their uh, drone, so to speak. And, and then the lion, he's directing the lion on the ground, and the lion is going through the war machines. They're going through and devouring everything evil in its path. 
And, and that's what's getting ready to be ha- loose in this country. The lion and the eagle. I can't wait. But all day long and all night long, well, there's no night in heaven, but all day long these magnificent creatures were seen. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. All, all day they sing that. And then there's the tree of life in heaven. A beautiful tree. The same tree that was in the garden. Uh, the same one that Adam and Eve ate from. And on this tree grows 12 different kinds of fruit, one for each month. I'd like to have a tree like that in my backyard. Have oranges one month, plums the next month, apples the next month. A different fruit every month grows from this tree. And the leaves are for the healing of the nations. You snatch a leaf off of that and eat it, and you're healed and you continue to live forever. And then after the tribulation, that same tree that was in the Garden of Eden that's in heaven now is going to return to the earth and be transplanted in Jerusalem. Because there's going to be natural people living here on the earth. They're not all going to be like us. Because once that last resurrection takes place, no more glorified bodies. No more immortal bodies. But these natural people with physical bodies are going to have to travel to Jerusalem once a year. Um, What do they call that? Like when the Muslims all return and stuff like that. But. Slips from my mind for now, but the Jews do it every year. Jesus had to do it. Remember when he stayed back at the temple and they said, where you been? We've been missing you for three days. And he said, didn't you know I'm about the Father's business? Well, they were on that journey to Jerusalem because they're required to worship in Jerusalem once a year. That's going to be forever. You don't feel like going to Jerusalem this year? Okay, don't go. No leaves from the tree of life. So what happens? You die. You'll be, it will be strongly suggested that you go to the temple in Jerusalem once a year to worship. We won't do it. We just, we just say, you know, present here, present there. You know, we just think about it and then we'll be there. Amen? But they're going to worship the Lord. <laughs> They're going to bow bow their knee. If they only do it once a year, they're going to do it if they want to live. Hallelujah. And then the streets in in heaven are made of pure, and John said, transparent gold. You can tell it's gold, but you can see through it. Why? Because it doesn't have any of the impurities of the earth. It's going to be translucent clear gold and the streets are going to be paved with it hallelujah you heard that joke about the rich guy he's standing at the gate and peter said what are you doing with them two sacks he said well this is sacks of gold and then and peter calls back and says jesus i got a guy here at the gate with two bags of pothole filler you want to let him in pothole filler it's gold here but it's pothole filler in heaven Hallelujah. And then as John continues to look, he sees 12 gates made of pearl. 
three on the north, three on the south, three on the east, and three on the west. That tells me heaven's got a wall. And there's only certain places to enter. Well, I'll just sneak in. No, you won't, because there's 12 angels, one at each one of those gates. And you ain't getting past none of them. Now, you won't need a... I don't want to go there. You won't need proof of a vaccination. But you will need credentials. <laughs> if you don't have the right credentials, you ain't getting in. Hallelujah. Well, this is a good message. I don't want it to be censored, so we'll, we'll just leave that where it's at. <laughs> But there's a lot of things that make heaven what heaven is, but there's one thing that makes heaven what it is for all of us, and that's Jesus is going to be there. Hallelujah. Another thing that makes heaven so wonderful is what won't be there. There will be no tears, no death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain, no night, no curse, no hunger, no thirst, or the hundreds of other things that have plagued us while we were down here. No wonder we have to live a life of faith. Stephen, the first martyr of the church, had been privileged to get a glimpse of the throne room of God, too. As he's dying after being stoned by religion, he spoke of seeing Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Now, he was a witness. He died the first martyr of the church because of his witness. And I'm here to tell you this morning, when you stand up for God and you witness for God, Jesus stands up for you. Don't ever back down. Then Paul got a glimpse of heaven on the Damascus Road. All he saw was a bright light, brighter than the noonday sun. But later when he spoke to King Agrippa, he called it the heavenly vision. So he seen heaven. Of course, he had a first-hand view of heaven because he said, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. That man was him. Such an one was caught up to the third heaven how that he was caught up into paradise. He called it paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. He heard things he didn't even have a description for. Enoch and Elijah were taken up into heaven. They saw heaven, but they never, they never returned to explain it. Moses got a little glimpse of God and his face shone. He just got a little glimpse of God when he was up on the mount getting the Ten Commandments. He got a glimpse of God and, and it caused his face to shine so brightly that he scared the children of Israel and they made him put a veil over his face. That was just a glimpse of the glory of heaven. And, and, and it's certainly going to be an amazing thing to go there and see for ourselves because the Bible says, for we know that if our earthly house, this tabernacle, were dissolved or died and turned to ashes or dust, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. There's more to us than this. In Hebrews 12:1, we're cautioned. Wherefore, seeing we are uh, uh, compassed about or compassed about, by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that doth so easily beset us and run the race, run with patience, 
the race that is set before us. We're running a race. But you know what? You don't have to be fast to win this race. But you got to finish. Don't make any difference if you're first, somewhere in the middle, or last. As long as you finish, your race ends in heaven. Now, we can try to imagine these things. And like I said, artists can attempt to do justice to them in their paintings, but they have no real idea how impossible it is to capture the real beauty of heaven. They can only imagine. You know that song, I Can Only Imagine? Now, I'm running out of time. What happens after we arrive in heaven? The first thing on our schedule would be to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But you're not going to be judged for sin. You've already been judged for sin when you accepted Jesus. He accepted, uh, he, he was judged for you. And when you accepted him, you were judged. You'll never be judged again for sin. But you'll be judged for the works that you did in the body of Christ. And only for the purpose of being rewarded. He said your works will be stacked up, wood, hay, and stubble, or precious jewels or precious metals. Your good works are going to be precious metals and precious jewels, and jewels abide the fire of, of uh, uh, trial. He's going to try them by fire. And uh, the wood, hay, and the stubble, the less than good works that you did in the body of Christ will be burned up. But the jewels will remain and the gold and silver will be even more valuable because it will be purged and, and purified. So uh, your good works, you go to heaven with them, and they become jewels and precious metal. And I don't have Bible for this. This is just me thinking. But I believe that's what you're going to make your crown out of that you're going to cast at Jesus' feet. Hallelujah. But your works are going to be tested. And heaven is a place of rewards because Jesus preaching on the Sermon on the Mount said, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So there'll be rewards in heaven for sincerity, for suffering, and for service to the Lord. And then he went on to say, But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through or steal. We have a heavenly safe deposit box. Pastorette preached about a box like that that we have in heaven, and everything you need is in that box. But we never open it, and we never take what we need. But every time you do something for God in his service, every time you give your time, your service, your money, pay a tithe, give an offering, it goes in your safe deposit box in heaven. It doesn't end here in the, in the offering bucket. And then following this, the rapture of the church, and we all have this great reunion, and we come together in heaven, there's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. Read about it in Revelation chapter 19. But only the redeemed, only the saved, only the born-again believers will be involved in any of these activities. And where do you make that decision at? Right here. While you're in this body, in this life. And heaven is a place of records. The Lamb's book of life is there. and Your name better be in it. There's other record books as well. The judgment uh, that uh, will appear at the judgment seat uh, 
and of Christ and at the great white throne judgment seat of God. He's going to have the book of life there, and he's going to show you your name is not in it. Not you. He's going to show the unrighteous dead that were resurrected. So heaven has a great recording system. They, they preserve every idle word, every thought, every deed that you ever performed of every person. And I pity the poor souls whose name is not written in the book of life. He said, and whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. So you can die of cancer and go to heaven. You can die of heart and lung disease and go to heaven. You can die with kidney disease, go to heaven. You can die of diabetes. You can die of poverty. You can die in riches. You can die in rags. You can die in rural garb, but you can, you can even die in a car accident, but you cannot die without Jesus and go to heaven. He said himself, I am the way, the truth, the life. Not a way, a truth, or a life. He is the way, the truth, the life. There is no other way. There's over 400 religions in the world and counting. Probably more than that now. But over 400 religions in the world, and none of them have a risen Savior. None of them have an empty tomb. But our God, our founder, the founder of our church, not religion, the founder of our church, is alive and well, seated at the right hand of the Father. Hallelujah. And you know, I did this for years, went to a quiet church. If somebody shouted, praise the Lord, everybody would duck. But heaven's not like that. If you like a quiet church, you will be a nervous wreck in heaven. <laughs> There's eternal rejoicing in heaven. You know, God healed me of stage four cancer, and so I'm eternally rejoicing. This is not something you say, thanks, Lord, I appreciate it, and you forget it. Every morning, every morning, I thank him and I appreciate him for it. Now, if you just get this hair to grow in a little faster. Hallelujah. But there's going to be shouting and running and dancing and singing all over heaven all the time, every day. You think Vegas never sleeps? Man, heaven never sleeps. So you might as well get some practice down here. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to get to heaven and be a stick in the mud, a bump on a log. You'll be the weird one in heaven. Down here, if you shout and dance and run, they think you're weird. But up there, if you sit and don't do nothing, they'll think you're weird. And the reason for most of it is going to be because of that great reunion in heaven. I'm telling you, when you see that lost loved one that you've been missing and grieving over and mourning over, you are going to run, dance, jump, sing, cry, do something. You're going to do something, I guarantee you. David said when his baby died, he said, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Jesus promised us when he was talking about the mansions, he said, where I am, there ye may be also. Homecoming time, it'll be a renewing of old acquaintances. 
I'm going to skip a few things and close with this. Jesus told us plainly, I go to prepare a place for you. This place is heaven. Your mansion. But I have to warn you, and, and if you didn't get nothing else out of this message today, get this. The prepared place is for a prepared person. If you're not prepared down here, you will not go to that prepared place. And I, I don't know who wrote this. I, I didn't copy the name down. I think it's like a little poem or something. But he said, a person may go to heaven without wealth, without health, without fame, without a name, without learning, without earnings, without culture, without beauty, without friends, and without a thousand other things. But no one will go to heaven without Jesus. No one will go to heaven without Jesus. And this thing, Paul said, was not done in a corner. The gospel was a mystery, but it was a mystery to the Old Testament saints. It had to be a mystery because God didn't want the devil to have the whole plan of redemption. He thought he did, but had he known, he would have not he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Why? Because that was his demise. He bruised Jesus' heel on the cross, but Jesus bruised his head, which is a fatal injury. And so the gospel had to remain a mystery, but since the church was born in the book of Acts, it's not a mystery any longer. It's something that's very simple. I tell you about God's son, Jesus, who came to earth to die for you, for your sins as your substitute, and all you have to do is accept him, and you're a prepared person getting ready to go to a prepared place someday. It's as simple as that. It's not a mystery anymore. It's not hard to be saved. It's not hard to be born again. All it takes is a simple prayer. But if you say that prayer with your mouth and believe it in your heart, it will change your life forever. If there's no change in your life after you saying that prayer, then it might mean that you didn't mean it. So something's got to change. It's more, I mean, it's not difficult, but it's more than just saying words. It has to come from the heart. It has to bring about a change in your life. So let's all stand there on our feet. And uh, I believe everybody in here is saved. I have no doubt in my mind about that. I believe everybody in here right now has at one time or another confessed Jesus Christ as Lord of their life and they're born again. But I'm not sure about everybody that's going to watch this video or watch this live feed on Facebook. So if you want to be sure, I just want you to say this prayer after me and all everybody in here is going to say it right along with you so you're not by yourself. But just repeat this after me. Father God, I believe Jesus is your only begotten son. I believe he came to earth, lived the life of a man, died on the cross, shed the blood of God at the foot of the cross. He did it for me in my place as my substitute for my sin, and I believe it. I believe you raised him from the dead. And because he lives, I shall live also. I thank you 
that according to my to your word, I believe in my heart, I confess it with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. So according to your word, I am born again and I am saved. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it from your heart, you are born again. Welcome to the family of God. But the Bible also says, Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. So all that means is that you need to tell somebody what happened to you today. Just tell them, I made Jesus Lord of my life today. And that's the witness that you need. Then find yourself a good church that believes in the whole Bible. That believes in the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And get yourself planted in that church. Get yourself a Bible and begin to read in the book of John. Read the book of John and then begin to pray every day. And just talk to God like you would a friend. Say, God, I missed it today. I sinned. I knew I wasn't supposed to do it, but I did. Please forgive me. And he will every time. So just begin to talk to him every day. And your conversation and your... Uh, will begin to grow, your relationship will begin to grow, and your life will change. And if that doesn't happen, you need to check up on some things. Make sure that what you prayed today, you meant from your heart. Amen? God bless you. I love you and appreciate you. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, make a comment at the bottom of the Facebook feed there in the comment section, and just let us know so we can rejoice with you. God bless you. We love you and appreciate you. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.